BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. My name is Jack Rico, and thanks for listening to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Today, I have two great guests. The first is the president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, Brandon Benavides, and he's here to help me make sense of why Hispanic journalists are invisible on the Sunday political shows. You know which ones they are, Meet the Press, Face the Nation, and also why they're invisible on morning network news programs like Today and Good Morning America. And then I talked to Jim McKay. He is the writer-director of En el Séptimo Día, the film that many top critics are calling one of the best films of 2018 so far. I asked him why, as a Caucasian writer-director, did he feel the need to make this light comedy about undocumented Mexican immigrants living in Brooklyn? We begin with Jim McKay after the break. Men... It's time we treated ourselves to some higher quality underwear because we deserve better. Underwear that feels good, provides support, and leaves us feeling fresh and comfortable. That's what sex underwear is all about. It's the only men's underwear that's actually designed with our anatomy in mind. When sex first got started, they wondered, why can't men's underwear be better? The answer, the ballpark pouch. A 3D support system unlike anything else in men's underwear today. I use them and it feels like bliss. Everything stays put, no friction. You can move around comfortably in it. And then there's the breathable fabric, super soft, moisture wicking that repels body odor. Since I started wearing sacks, I really don't wear any other brand. I want you to feel the same exact way that I do. So I've worked with Saks Underwear on this great limited time deal. Shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. But to get this great offer, you need to use my promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Order a few pairs of Saks right now with this great offer and go to Saks Underwear at saxxunderwear.com. That's Saks with two X's and use the promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Remember, saxunderwear.com. Promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT. I'm joined now by Jim McKay. He's the writer-director of En el Séptimo Día. ¿Contra quién juega la televisión? Chinantra, el domingo. Va a ser un juego muy duro. Por el domingo. Por el domingo. Jose, here's the deal. I need everyone on Sunday. I have a private party after brunch on Sunday. These are important people coming in here. I need all hands on deck. Thanks, Jose. No, no puedo trabajar el domingo. Nos dan en la madre, ve. Nos dan en la madre o me corren. Jim, how are you? Congratulations on the magnificent reviews your movie has been getting so far. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a, a nice surprise. It's been great. Yeah. Why has this been a surprise for you? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know. You know, we just we made this little movie, and uh, <laughs> we 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 spent about a year. The, the last year, actually, since last June. Uh, we spent the year playing in festivals around the country and around the world, 
uh, after our, our world premiere in New York uh, in June of, of 2017. And it definitely, you know, it took a little while to, to figure out who was going to start the movie out. And we were thinking at a certain point that we maybe wouldn't be able to find anyone and that we were going to have to do it ourselves. And then our distributor um, stepped up cinema guild and was very excited about the film and is you know they're the ones who made it happen but you know i just um uh it's it's a it's a small and intimate film but you know we're what's weird is i guess when we first came out when we came out we got these very very good reviews in like hollywood trades like variety and hollywood reporter which is just you know yeah if you don't mind i just i just like to tell the listeners a little bit of what these reviews sound like uh, the Hollywood Reporter, Sherry Linden, said the 10 best films of 2018 at the midpoint. Uh, Variety, the best films of 2018 so far. IndieWire, the 10 best overlooked movies of 2018 so far. A.O. Scott from the New York Times, go see this movie. Why do you think that this film in particular has resonated so much with the elite critics? Wow. Um, maybe there, geez, it's hard to say this. I mean, there's so many good movies out and there's so many good, there's still a lot of good small independent films. So, um, it's, it's a little bit hard, you know, it's, it's not for me to say kind of in a way, but I, what I'm feeling is that, that there's a lot of love um, for you right now, Jim. Uh, okay. I'm, I'll start accepting it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be more accepting of it. Um, 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 I think that with the, the, the uh the current political you know situation mm -hmm. being what it is and the 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 height of the, the and depth of the depth of the the vitriol and, and the um conflict that we're just surrounded by on a daily basis um to have this film appear that is not about immigration and it's not an issue oriented film not at all but that it, because it portrays these as its characters, it portrays the people who are in the news right now. Um, and it's, it's, and it's a movie that is making people somehow feel good, I think, um, which is great. You know, it's, it's just really nice. And I think that the, we lucked out by, you know, by the, because of the fact that it's not tied to an, a single issue. It's not tied to a single point in time. It's simply, a character study and a, and a portrait of a community that right at this point in time, we really need to get to know a lot better than we do. As Absolutely. So I, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about for the listeners. Uh, what is this, what is this movie about in particular? So, um, Jose is a resident of New York, but he's an undocumented Mexican immigrant who's been here for a bunch of years and he's a bicycle delivery guy for a fancy restaurant uh, in a fancy neighborhood in Park Slope or uh, Cow Gardens, actually. And um, he works very, very hard six days a week. He's a really great worker and he's a real leader at the restaurant. And um, he plays soccer on Sundays. And in the beginning of the film, uh, we start with the semifinals in his little league in Sunset Park. And they win their semifinals and they're happy. He goes to work on Monday morning. He's telling his coworkers about the game. His boss comes in and tells him, uh, hey, by the way, I need everyone to come and work next Sunday. Uh, I got a very big party coming in. And of course, next Sunday is the day of the finals. 
that his team was in. Um, and that kind of starts a week long struggle for Jose about what to do. You know, he, he, he's hesitant to tell his teammates what's going on uh, because I think in some secret way, he doesn't actually want them to, well, he fears their response no matter what it is, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's, you know, you better play or, or we're going to, we're going to disown you because that is going to sacrifice his job. And, uh, or if it's the opposite, that's, oh, that's also kind of scary to him as well. So he, he spends the week trying to fix the situation. And, uh, in the end, the situation actually gets fixed, uh, through an act of, uh, community building, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And one of the remarkable things about this movie in particular is that there are no professional actors. The, 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 the the main ensemble are not professional actors. Mm. Where did you get these guys to put in a movie and be able to work with them to create what is considered by many, one of the best movies of the year? You know, we, we cast on the street, which a lot of, you know, which has a long history in, in the independent film when you're doing like kind of neorealist movies. Um, and I've worked with non-actors a number of times and, and definitely enjoyed the experience. This was the kind of film where there wasn't really a choice, you know, for me, at least. Um, I think the the general public and uh, and immigrants in particular are very used to seeing inaccurate portrayals uh, in terms of casting, uh, when they go to movies, you know, it's, it's, there's usually people don't think twice about casting a Puerto Rican to play a Mexican or a Colombian to play a Brazilian or whatever it is. As long as you're somehow in the zone and you can, if, if it calls for speaking Spanish, you can either speak it or learn it for the part they will cast you. And, um, you know, I didn't, want to make that movie. I, it was, it was essential to me that the, the, this film, which is, you know, isn't about the experience of immigrating. Uh, it isn't about the process, but it's about characters who have, who have gone through that experience and are now are still do are still living as immigrants. Um, I felt like I needed, you know, the real, the, the real representation. And so we, um, that's what we did. We, we looked for Mexicans, Mexican men between the ages of 24 and 40. We put up flyers in the neighborhood. We had open call sessions. We cast on the street. We pulled people aside, videotaped them running the street when they would stop and talk to us. And, and over the course of seven months, assembled this group of, of people who we felt really strongly, you know, could, could pull this off. And it was, you know, when you, when I think back about it, you know, these were people who had literally, never seen a script in their lives who had never read a scene and you know you had to kind of walk them through like you know this is this is your character's name and so you read this line but then you don't read this whole part where it says he walks to the door and lets him in and blah 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 you know like it was it's a completely fresh and alien experience for them and um they really embraced it and they really, yeah. they, they, they learned, they learned the lines, they came in, they, uh, you know, we brought them back in over and over and over again. And through that process, I, now that I think back on it, like that was acting school in a way, that was the time where we got to like actually work on stuff and, and hone their sensibilities so that when they got on the locations and we were filming, 
they were really um they were really there you know the first thing that that shocked me was jim mckay white guy telling an mexican immigrant story and investing seven months of his own time to tell this story this is not coming from Alejandro González Iñárritu. Not, it's not coming from Alfonso Cuarón. It's not coming from someone who wanted to tell their stories because they felt that our stories are not told enough. Mm. The, the, the thing that I constantly kept on going back to was, why would he want to tell this story? Mm. Well, this is the kind of movie I want to see. You know, when I go to the cinema, I, uh, no, no offense to, to big blockbusters, but I, I, I don't, I'm not really interested in them. And I'm truthfully, and I don't want this to sound weird or self-righteous or anything, but I've kind of over the last bunch of years in particular, I'm not really interested in seeing movies about like strictly about white people anymore, especially ones with like token side characters who, you know, are, are, liter- are very, are, are literally tokens. I, I go to films. I, I, wa- I want to see films from Iran. I want to see films from Africa. I want to see films in the, made in the United States about people who are not like me, um, and and characters and stories that are that are new to me because that's that's eye opening and that's a refreshing experience for me. I mean, I also love to have fun in the movies, but I don't think the two can are necessarily exclusive. You know, so that's the first thing. It's just that. This, this is the kind of movie I would want to go to. And then, um, you know, I, I just, I, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a topic I'm interested in. It's a, a story that I, I was interested in telling. And the other thing is, you know, when you make a film, it's, it's usually a good three to four to five years out of your life mm-hmm. when it's all said and done. And I feel like if you're going to go through that, you should really do something that's going to enrich your your life, your own personal life. Correct. It's not your main priority per se, but you know, I have a new community of friends. I've learned like a tremendous amount. Um, and my life has been expanded through this experience. I'm as critical as, as, as many others about, you know, this idea of like, uh, telling other people's stories, but I also don't think it's a, it's just simply a, there's one answer to it, which is don't do it. I think really for me, the answer is don't do it in a way that it is, is wrong or inaccurate or insensitive, or, you know, I, I think if you tell that story and it's respectful and it's intuitive and it's, and it's sensitive and it's, and it's actually well done, you know, then there's no reason why you shouldn't also like we're, we've shot this film hundred percent on location in New York city, uh, in Brooklyn. Um, we went to film festivals in the, in the United States and sometimes we were in the world cinema section because the film is mostly in Spanish. Defining what American is right now is yeah. a really interesting it's a thing. And it's like, right. is this, is this a, it's not a foreign film. It's made in the United States. Is it a Spanish language film? Yeah. Is it a Mexican film? No, it's not a Mexican film, but the whole cast primarily like, you know, are, are, so I might be a white guy, but look at the people who are in the film, you know, who have had this opportunity. They tell the story as well. Just, it's not my movie alone. It's all of our movies. So I think in that way, that's what's been beautiful also is that film festivals like the New York Latino Film Festival, the San Diego Latino Film Festival, 
the Latin American Film Festival in Silver Springs, Maryland, all had us play at their festivals because I think they saw that as well. You know, One of the things that I wanted to share with you was th- the reason that I think this movie is special is because I, th- I believe that you have single-handedly changed the image of the undocumented Mexican worker from negative to positive. You have made, you have humanized the, the, the undocumented for so many people who have thought of them as invisible people and you've put them on equal playing field. I mean, there, there was a moment that I thought that this whole movie was like a comedy. So when you see that image, which is mostly of the undocumented Mexican workers on TV or on film, they're mm-hmm. either crossing the border, being shot at, being uh, brutalized somehow. And here they are like a regular friend from down the block that I've grown up for, for, for 10, 15 years of my childhood or something like that. Yes, they're undocumented Mexican workers, but this could be any group of friends from any race or any ethnicity. Exactly. And that's what I think is special. In the same way that I talk about how it's expanded my world, it's definitely expanded their worlds um, in terms of, you know, the, 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 sh- the shooting of the film was really wonderful because there was, you know, we had a very, very diverse crew. We had tons and tons of Spanish-speaking Americans or or actually we had a lot of people from Spain, people from Venezuela, Argentina, um, Caribbean countries. And then we had some people who couldn't speak any Spanish at all. Um, and then some of our actors can can speak very little English, but some of them speak very good English. And so it was this great mix, but all of a sudden these two communities came together and, you know, hung out and, and, and spent time with one another when, when he's just without this movie happening, they wouldn't have done that. And so I think for the, on the part of the crew, they were like really excited about that. And then on the part of the cast, they were as well. And it was really just a, for them, it was like this glimpse into this other world that they also don't have access to in the same way that um, white America doesn't have access to their world. One of the things we, we did a big screening in Brooklyn the other night, we had about 400 people uh, on a pier in Brooklyn wow. for the rooftop films uh, screening. And it was really wonderful. A lot of the guys at the Q and a were talking about, you know, they were saying, um, they've definitely become a little bit more politicized, I think, through their experience with the film. Mm-hmm. And a, a number of them were talking about within their answers to questions, like, you know, saying things like, you know, we're, I just want people to know we're good people. You know, we're not bad people. And we're not the criminals. We're not the ones with the hoodies walking into a cop car or being put in jails or being shot at. We're regular yeah. people that love you, that, that, that want to be friends with you. Mm. Don't, don't be afraid of us. Yeah. I, I think that, that yeah. was what, you know, they were trying to communicate. But for me, as I was standing there, I just, it, it occurred to me like that, gosh, it's sad that they feel like they even have to say that. I mean, right. like what, you know, where, where are we at that people have to literally say like, I'm not an animal by the way, you know, I'm, I'm you know, it's like, and, and also what it, what occurs to me is, you know, we really need white people in this country to have to be feeling that same sense of responsibility for, for who they are and for who their people are. You know, when some white guy shoots, you know, 25 people in some place, you know, we should all be feeling shame, shame about that and responsibility for that and speaking out about it because that's who represents us 
in the world. You know, there's this there's the old adage about like, you know, you'll you'll never really know what someone's going through until you walk in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the film for a certain population of people allows people to, to walk in someone's shoes and to experience their life like you were talking about. And then for the population of people who does who already knows that kind of life, it allows them to see it on a screen where they're usually seeing other people's stories. And so, um, you know, if it's doing that, then I think it's, it's really succeeding and, and, and has value. And I think that's the magic of movies. Uh, Jim McKay, thank you so much for making this movie. It's for me, the feel good movie of the year. I think everyone should watch it. Seriously. I felt so much joy. I wanted to go play. I wanted to do a barbecue. I wanted to hang out with these guys. These guys were making me laugh. I love the inside jokes. And uh, I wanted to thank you, Jim McKay, for making a movie like this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. Mr. Brendan Benavides, president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. Let's get right into it, uh, Brandon. This week, the Daily Beast wrote a brief observation that with the immigration debates and child separation occupying most of the top headlines, uh, how is it possible that this past Sunday's political shows on five TV networks could feature a total of 12 panelists which only one was Hispanic, and that was Democratic Representative Luis Gutierrez from Illinois. This isn't anything shocking to me in particular, but given the news cycle, Brandon, about Latinos, why do you think this happened? Well, obviously, we need to have uh, more uh, Latinos at the table, and we need to be represented uh, in in cases like these. I think it's very important to have uh, uh, journalists of color um, be at the table to to talk about uh, things that affect our community. In particular, I think uh, the networks need to do a much better job in uh, providing diverse voices at the table to talk about these topics, such as immigration uh, at the border and what's happening uh, along the border there. Well, we know it it should happen because we've been complaining about it for, for decades. The problem is, why is it still happening? Because I'm sure that one of the missions of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists is to give more Latino journalists exposure, jobs, uh, represent themselves and our voices in mainstream America. But why hasn't that happened, though? What, what is the big why? That, and that's the big question. Uh, uh, everyone is trying uh, to have a diverse newsroom, and early on we've been remaining focused on newsrooms being fair and accurate while reporting on um, this uh, humanitarian crisis that we're going through. Uh, but we still need to push uh, push harder and stronger to make sure that uh, the people that we see on TV are the ones that reflect the communities uh, that we cover. I think that's still very important. Uh, I do think some uh, some networks and some newsrooms uh, have already made progress uh, in getting um, more uh, Latino journalists on air and behind the scenes, uh, but I think more needs to be done. This is something that will not be fixed overnight. Our association has been uh, in existence for 34 years, and we uh, continue to press on to encourage more Latino representation uh, in journalism. I feel like the reason that 
in this particular Sunday news cycle, when you have Jose Diaz-Balart from Telemundo and NBC, Mariana Hossa from NPR, Sandra Lilly, the editor-in-chief of NBC Latino, Alicia Menendez, who used to be at Fusion and uh, is one of the most popular and recognizable Hispanic voices in politics, the fact that they weren't available to speak uh, because no one called them, to me, it's a little ludicrous. And you have to ask two questions. And I think the legitimate questions, Brandon. One, is this prejudice? Is this a white executive producer saying, I don't want purse people of color, journalists of color, coming in here and spewing Latino agendas on our white American air? Or is it two? I don't know anybody like that. I don't know people of color. I don't know journalists of color. I've never heard of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Therefore, I could not reach out to anybody. Is it ignorance or is it prejudice? Or is it C? I don't know. It's really, I don't know. Because I, I can tell you that at the different networks, there are journalists of, of color uh, 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 working behind the scenes. But it may be that uh, that the people who are making, or the decision-making process may not uh, be in tune with these things because we do have members out there that are, are available. The, the people that you just mentioned, we also have others. We have Nick Valencia on CNN. We have Gio Benitez from ABC. Uh, we also have Maria Peña uh, who writes for La Opinion. So we have several of our members that cover uh, the, the White House and and travel across the country uh, uh, working for the different uh, mainstream media. But I do think our voices need to be uh, uh, our voices need to be uh, heard and our, and we need to be reflected on the Sunday morning shows. Are you, are you content with having Latino journalists just be correspondents on the field reporting, but never being anchors on a morning newscast? Let's look at the five big networks, right? CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, uh, and, uh, CNN, MSNBC, all morning. I don't know one single Hispanic that is any of those five morning shows. To me, if you're a Latino journalist, your dream is to be an anchor, a main anchor on the Today Show. And I feel that that hasn't happened. So what are your challenges in particular? As president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, is your mission at some point to say, to talk to these news directors and tell them, listen, why don't you put a person of color in there, whether it's African-American, in particular, in this case, Latino, to talk about these topics and to just reflect America a little bit more. And this is something that we have done. I've spoken to uh, the diversity recruiters and uh, and uh, vice presidents in New York from the different um, uh, networks. What do they tell uh, you? And I, and and this is something that we've been pushing, that we want to make sure that we have uh, um, opportunities for our journalists uh, to, get, to get into these uh, positions. And uh, the thing that I hear from, from them is they are looking for, um, for journalists uh, who are uh, experienced and um, can give something to the network. And this is something that is very important to us. Uh, we are having our international training conference and career uh, fair on in July, July 17th of the 21st in Miami. Our, our our career fair, our expo is actually sold out. So we have several uh, networks, uh, different media groups who are going to be actively um, recruiting at our 
at our conference. And um, in previous years, several of our journalists have been hired through these through these job fairs. We've also hosted uh, local job fairs in Washington D.C., in New York, in Chicago, and these job fairs have been very successful. This is something that we uh, that we provide as a service to our members. We want to help our members to get in these positions. Um, so that that that's something in that we want to make sure that our members have every opportunity to meet with uh, the decision makers and the recruiters who hire people to be whether that's on air or behind the scenes. But we need more uh, representation in the newsroom. I read somewhere, Brandon, that said that one of the reasons producers don't want to have Latino pundits on their air is because they present themselves as too biased towards the Latino community, that they're too passionate and it might come off as anger. Uh, they have political agendas. They can't be neutral. They want a Latino that offers a general American opinion uh, with Latino points that can somehow resonate with the rest of non-Latinos. So I guess giving inclusive points of views. Do you agree with that notion? I don't want to say that uh, that journalists, that Latino journalists have an agenda and they only do uh, stories about their community. That's not true. There's there's journalists that cover everything. We have um, Jim Acosta, who I gave a Vanity Strait Presidential Award to uh, last year. He covers the White House and he also filled, fills in uh, as an anchor on CNN. And so he's not just covering Latino issues. He's covering everything for from general assignments to the White House beat. I think there there's there's two ways to put a panel together. You can have a panel of community experts who are from those advocacy organizations, and that's their position where they take an, a, a policy stance, and they are community organizers. That is different from having a panel of journalists, and journalists who are objective, and these are journalists who are members of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. And as journalists, we are, we are objective. We we tell the stories that are affecting our community, and we do that in an objective and an unbiased way. We want to make sure that our stories are being told fair and accurately, and that does not mean that we take a policy stand. And that's, that makes the difference between those community activists that are on the panel and have their own agenda, and then a panel of journalists who are talking about the stories that are affecting the community. What is the biggest challenge you're confronting as a president? of this organization? The biggest challenge uh, that, that I'm confronting as a president is I want to make sure uh, that our members have the opportunity uh, to achieve their career goals, uh, to get where they want to be. And I'm one of those examples. Um, I joined NHJ as a student member, and the reason why I joined is because I wanted to network with professional journalists and I wanted to get a job. And I think that's uh, uh, the main reason why several of our members joined NHJ. So I think that it's important for uh, for members, for people who are interested in, in, in reporting, either being a producer, a cameraman, um, on air, to be a part of a, an association, because it's not just your skills uh, uh, that, that you need to have the reporting skills, but you also need to know people and network, and that's something that's very important. And that goes with any industry, but it's very important with us in particular, because it's all about who you know and what you know. What I am a little skeptical about is that... Even though the strategy is in place by the NAHJ, it seems there seems to be some sort of disconnect from the other end, 
which are the diverse, the, 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 the chief diversity officers, the diversity departments of all these companies who look at you and they understand what you're saying. They know something needs to happen. They just can't force it. They can't obligate it because at the end of the day, if you're talking to Good Morning America and the diversity officer comes over and says, look, I, uh, I just spoke to Brandon. Brandon needs these 25 people hired here at Good Morning America and they want one, three of them to replace you know, Robin and uh, all the other, Michael Strahan and all the other ones, uh, make that happen. I'm like, no, I don't care what Brandon says. I'm not hiring anybody else. I'm very happy with my team. And just because they're Latino, I'm not going to put them in. So there's a strategy and then there's like this resistance to it. How do you overcome that? How do you overcome uh, an executive producer not wanting to hire Latinos in front of the cameras as main anchors, as stars? Whether you're on the local or national level, people get in these positions, uh, they have to work uh, up the career uh, ladder. It is not that you're just placed in this position. You have to pay your dues. You have to work your way up. Uh, if you're a producer, you have to work your way from a writer, uh, producer, associate producer, executive producer, senior producer. There's different things. The same thing as being uh, a host, an anchor. Um, you have to pay your dues and start reporting. You have to be a good reporter. You have to be a good correspondent. So there's there's people in place that uh, that need to be in place so they can uh, so they can feed the beast and 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 continue to provide uh, that information. I think we have a lot of young journalists who are getting a lot of experience across the country, and eventually they will be in those key places. And we are having those uh, conversations. I've had those conversations with the diversity officers at the different uh, net, uh, networks and, and, and papers uh, uh, across the country to make sure that, that we are represented. And what I'm hearing from them is they understand that. They understand the need that they need to do better. They understand the need to have uh, a diverse uh, newsroom. Uh, and they, they understand the importance of NHJ and how the, the reporting of, uh, of, a, of a diverse newsroom helps their bottom line as well. Absolutely. You mentioned a little while ago, uh, young journalists. You know, when I think of young journalists, I think of bilingual journalists. And that's one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about. There's a division in, in Hispanics, which is language. There's many Hispanics that are journalists that are Spanish dominant. And then there's ones that don't speak Spanish well enough to be in Spanish TV, so they're in English language TV. How are you how are you handling those two polar opposites? Um, well, I can tell you I'm one of those uh, uh, Latino journalists who did not, who does not speak Spanish. Um, so so that's that's me. Do you get a lot of faces um, going, wait, 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 what do you mean you don't speak Spanish? You're Latino. I do get that, but then I tell them why I don't speak Spanish. So growing up in San Antonio, my parents didn't uh, teach us Spanish because when they were growing up, uh, it was frowned upon to speak Spanish and to wow. protect us and, and, and to protect us and so we wouldn't have an accent. Um, they didn't teach us Spanish. And I, I again, I've traveled across the country, uh, Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., and people still say, Brandon, you have an accent. 
And I was like, well, I don't speak Spanish, um, but that, that's assumed. Uh, for, for our members, we do have uh, members who speak, uh, who are Spanish gentlemen and who work at the Telemundo and, and, and Univision. We have uh, journalists who work uh, for the English language and uh, also speak Spanish. It can be conversational Spanish, and that's also important. So within our community, we also have uh, diverse groups on Spanish speakers and non-Spanish speakers. Do you think it's important for young journalists today to be bilingual or to just to speak think, perfectly one language or the other? I think it would be advantageous for anybody if they speak uh, more than one language. I can tell you uh, personally, uh, if I was uh, proficient in, in Spanish, um, I would have moved quicker through the markets uh, because I... Uh, uh, there were times where people would call me up for an interview. They saw that my last name was Benavides, and they saw that uh, I was a member of the National Association of, of Hispanic Journalists, and they assumed that I spoke Spanish. And so uh, I was being called in for an interview at uh, at a Spanish language station, and I was like, I can't be the executive producer. I can't. Uh, uh, I can't approve scripts in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Um, but I, I do think that people who are able to, uh, to speak Spanish and translate it, I think that's very important. It's a useful tool to have. Now, what about accents? Have you gotten any complaints from Latino journalists that have approached you and said, listen, I got fired or I'm not being promoted because of my accent? Having an accent or not, um, I think that that's besides the point. I've heard uh, actual complaints from people uh, who were, um, there's been a Latino journalist who pronounces uh, his or her last name the way it's supposed to be pronounced in Spanish, or if they say uh, uh, the way they pronounce the different cities, San Antonio, El Paso, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, different things like that. But to me, they are reflecting the community and and, and they're saying it uh, in the correct way. That, I think, is uh, is is fair and accurate for them to uh, to report and, and say the names the way that they're properly uh, pronounced. And I think pronunciation is important because even in uh, our English language news, uh, in our newsrooms, it's important to pronounce things correctly. Um, and so that that that's important. That's our, that's our job. We want to make sure that we that uh, that we are doing that. If somebody, uh, a listener right now who is an aspiring journalist, wants to approach the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, what do they need to do? I would say go to our website nhj.org and register for our uh, conference. We have an international training conference. It's both in English and Spanish in Miami. It's happening July 17th through the 21st, and we are hands-on. Uh, we are focused on hands-on training uh, in English and Spanish. We have a career fair going on. As I mentioned earlier, it's sold out. So we have different uh, uh, companies, networks. Uh, everybody will be recruiting. So come on down to Miami, uh, and we are uh, and we are very focused uh, to get our members the opportunity to meet the hiring managers uh, at the different uh, news organizations. You don't have to bend my arm to go to Miami. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's always it's always a good excuse just to go to Miami. Brandon, thank you very yes. much for being on the podcast. Thank you, thank you very much. You have a good day. That's it for this episode of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Brandon Benavides and Jim McKay for coming on, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as well. If you'd like to support the show, go ahead and share us on social media and tell all your friends about our show. Remember, it's through your word of mouth that our show can grow. 
I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.